yo Haciendo mi camino por la senda del desierto La estrella solar revolución en este cielo abierto Welcome to a new episode of Lenachex Radio The topic for today is the colonial occupation of Western Sahara by Morocco and uh, the decolonial struggle of the Sahrawi people uh, that's lasting a few decades now. It's going to be a two-part episode. In the first part, talk more about the history of the occupation and the broader geopolitical relations and considerations. And uh, to talk with us today is Jamal, who is a human rights activist, uh, Uh, working to further the interests and rights of the Sahrawi people uh, internationally. And the second episode will be about the humanitarian situation, especially from a feminist lens and the need for a feminist uh, critique in the movement. The voices that you will be hearing today are our guest, Jamal, and myself, Robbie. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Listen to them. Loves. Children of the night, what music they make. Thanks for accepting our invitation. It's a busy time for everyone, and uh, even if you're talking about topics that are important to you and uh, close to your heart, it's still You know, it takes time and energy, so we appreciate it. Uh, and uh, before starting the discussion, can you say a few things about yourself, please? Sure. Thank you for inviting me. And this is a great opportunity for me to be on a Romanian podcast. And I believe lots of Romanians don't know about the issue or the conflict of Western Sahara. Yeah. So this is an excellent um, opportunity to be talking about Western Sahara conflict and what it entails for the Sahrawis and also to talk about the plight of the Sahrawis. Who are the people of Western Sahara, which is located in Northwest Africa? And it's also called the last colony of Africa. My name is Jamal and I'm from Western Sahara, born and raised in Western Sahara, and I currently live in the U.S. I'm a human rights activist and I've been doing this for as long as I can remember, advocating for the Western Sahara conflict and also a spokesperson for the plight of the Sahrawis. I've also been a victim of the uh, WikiLeaks. So my name appeared in one of the WikiLeaks papers where it stated what I was doing undercover or behind the scenes for the cause of Western Sahara with the American embassy and also with State Department and the American NGOs about the suffering of Western Sahara, reporting all the abuses, the violations of the Sahrawis under Moroccan occupation. So that made me a little bit uncomfortable as far as, you know, maneuvering and advocating. So now it has to be done face to face and uh, no more uh, covers. I have been blacklisted by the Moroccan uh, occupation in Western Sahara, so I cannot get a job and also. I tried to register my PhD there, but no luck four or five times. So you know how it works in uh, third world countries as well, where, you know, uh, if you're not really uh, pro-regime, then you're an outcast and you're always blacklisted. But when you are involved in politics, that's the worst enemy of any regime. You can do anything, but not to be involved in politics. So yeah. the plight of the Sahrawi has always been to call for a fair 
and a transparent referendum where all the people of Western Sahara, according to the International Charter and the International Law, can exercise their right to self-determination, whereby a referendum is organized in Western Sahara for the people of Western Sahara to vote whether they want to be independent, join Morocco, or choose autonomy, which was another option that was added later in the process. So this is a little bit about me and about my involvement in the Western Sahara conflict. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So as you said, that the situation in Western Sahara, uh, the occupation is often called the kind of last old-style colonial project on the planet. Maybe not the last, but uh, mm. it's very like old-style colonialism in terms of physical occupation and uh, plunder of resources, extractivism, mm. and uh, you know taking of lands and livelihoods. And um, yeah, I think uh, not so many people know about uh, the issues there, uh, especially from, you know, comrades who are generally, uh, you know, engaged or interested about international topics and internationalism. But uh, I think maybe even they don't know a lot about this topic, including myself here. Maybe for, to start things off, would you like to give kind of a like timeline of the major events? Yes. Because you can read it off Wikipedia, but it depends who says the story. So, yeah. I'll tell a little bit about the chronology of events in Western Sahara. So Western Sahara has been a Spanish colony before being a Moroccan uh, colony now. In late 1880s, Spain uh, invaded Western Sahara and it remained a Spanish colony for almost 100 years from all, I would say, 1889 till 1975. Franco, the general in Spain that time, was about to die and so Spain made a pact with Morocco and Mauritania under what was called the Madrid Accord, whereby Spain withdraw from the territory and surrender the territory. The northern half of it would go to Morocco and the northern half would go to Mauritania. So they split the territory just like splitting a cake between them without consulting or without involving the people of Western Sahara. So in 1975, Morocco invaded military Western Sahara under what was known as the Green March. 350,000 Moroccan settlers invaded Western Sahara, helped and aided by military behind them. And then Sahrawis, when they saw this invasion, half of the population, Sahrawi population, fled to the Algerian territory uh, in southwest Algeria in an area called Tindouf, where we uh, have now Sahrawi uh, refugee camps. Some of them left to Mauritania and some few of them uh, went back to Spain. And then in 1973, I would go back a little bit earlier. In 1963, the United Nations mentioned Western Sahara uh, and the people of Western Sahara as people who should be granted the right to self-determination. And that right was approved and ratified by the United Nations. So in 1973, the Polisario Front was founded by Sahrawis, which the Polisario as a word means the Popular Front for the Liberation of Sagal Hamra Rio de Oro. So those are two rivers that constitute the boundaries, the natural geographic boundaries of Western Sahara. Sagal Hamra and the other river is Rio de Oro in the south of Western Sahara in the Dakhla region. One is in Layoun region and one is in Dakhla region. So the Polisario stands for the Popular Front for the Liberation of those lands located between these two rivers. One is in the north, one is in the south. So the Polisario was founded in 1973 and it started its uh, guerrilla fights uh, against the Spaniards 
for two years until Spain ceded the territory to Morocco, and then the Polisario Front or the Sahrawi general moved their struggle against the Moroccan invasion, and then they were based in the uh, southwest Algeria and also would fight the Moroccan army inside the Sahrawi territory for almost two decades. Till 1991, when a ceasefire accord was signed under the auspices of the United Nations, whereby there would be no more wars and no more hostilities, and also it was agreed that a referendum should be organized in Western Sahara for the people of Western Sahara to vote whether they want independence or join Morocco. So that was in 1991, and a United Nations mission was formed. Uh, it was called, it's still there, it's called the MINORSO, which stands for the International Mission for the Organization of the Referendum in Western Sahara. So that's the MINORSO. It's still there, it's the Blue Helmets. They were able to monitor the ceasefire for many decades, but the referendum never took place. And the Sahrawis were very, very upset because they see their resources, natural resources, plundered. They witness uh, violations and abuse every day at the hands of the Moroccan police. They see that they are being impoverished while their land is very rich in natural resources like fisheries, like gold, diamond, copper, you name it, all the minerals. Salt, nice weather all year long, sustainable uh, energies, etc. The ceasefire broke in late 2020 because Moroccans tried to invade a buffer zone, and so the Polisario reacted in response to that invasion or that uh, breach of the ceasefire agreement, and the war broke off again between the Polisario Liberation Army and uh, the Moroccan army, and it's still taking place. So those are the most recent updates. The United Nations has appointed many UN envoys to try to negotiate a deal or negotiate some kind of uh, a solution to the conflict, but so far nobody, no special involved, was successful in reaching a solution uh, that's uh, mutually agreed by uh, the two uh, parties of the conflict, including Mr. James Wicker, the former U.S. Minister of Foreign Affairs, including uh, Yaqub Zadahan, including uh, the former uh, German uh, president and many others. So, so far it's a stalemate and the Sahrawis are still suffering and it's still uh, in the diaspora, still in the refugee camps, still, still living under oppression in the occupied territory. So this is the current situation. And just building on that, to give us a, a better understanding, uh, what is Morocco's stake or why, why are they doing this? I, I know that you already mentioned resources. I know from researching a bit for this episode that there's also some kind of uh, imperial vision of greater Morocco there, but maybe if you can say a bit more about this. And also, what is Spain's uh, role in it now? Again, as I was researching it, I was surprised that Spain also has a, a role in this conflict uh, uh, from an international law point of view, as the UN sees it at least, yeah. So Morocco invaded Western Sahara in 1975. So if we go back in time, between 1970 and 1975, there were so many coup d'etat against the late deceased king of Morocco, Hassan II, by his own military. So he was trying to think about a solution whereby he can get rid of the power of the military and get also people disoriented or distracted by something else, not just organizing coup d'etat. So igniting war, in Western Sahara was a perfect solution for that purpose. 
mm-hmm. and also to get rid of the military and their power. That was one of the reasons. The second reason was purely economic because Western Sahara is rich in phosphate. It's one of the purest phosphate rocks in the world. It has a lots of fisheries. We have a very rich coastal line along Western Sahara that extends for more than a thousand miles. And also we have other minerals like salt, we have uh, copper and other minerals that Morocco is exploiting sometimes publicly and sometimes behind the scenes. And so uh, Morocco also wanted to get rid of many other things. For example, when there is a crisis in Morocco or when there is, let's say, a demonstration or there are uh, different people asking for certain reforms of the constitution or whatsoever, the regime would say that we cannot do anything right now till we solve the issue of Western Sahara. So the Western Sahara is the subterfuge for the regime to delay any reform and to silence any rising voices calling out for a reform. And that's why they're trying to hang on to it. And because the regime has been lying to its own people, saying that Western Sahara has always been part of Morocco for so many decades now, for five decades now. So Morocco now, or the throne, is very much linked to the issue of Western Sahara. If Western Sahara is lost, then lots of damage is going to happen in Morocco. Mm-hmm. As for Spain, Spain cheated on the Sahara within 1975 when it surrendered the territory to Morocco without consulting the Sahrawis and without involving them in any decision whatsoever about the future of their territory. That was the first treason. The other treason came to light just a few months ago when Sanchez, the Prime Minister of Spain, said in a letter uh, addressed to the King of Morocco that Spain uh, recognized autonomy plan as the sole and the best solution to the conflict that are backing up that autonomy. So the Sahrawis were very mad, did not understand why Spain would take such a bold move against the Sahrawis, even though the people of Spain or the population of Spain or the constituents in Spain are against such a decision because it was solely made by Sanchez himself. Even the Arab parties with him and the coalition uh, government, like Podemos and other parties, they did not agree, but the PSOA, which is the Sanchez party, did that decision without consulting other parties and without even telling them the reasons why they have done it. So there are many things at stake here. Some people say because Morocco has three cars that they are using to pressure Spain, the card of immigration, illegal immigration, the card of drugs, and also the card of terrorism. So Morocco is trying to exercise some kind of, um, I would say, lobbying force against Spain and the European Union because also of another issue, which is fisheries. Because as you know, for many years, Morocco has allowed the EU fleet to fish in the waters of Western Sahara despite the ruling of the European Court and also despite the international law that says that the Sahara should have been consulted and should have agreed to such a thing and should also benefit from any economic activity in the Western Sahara. So Morocco and the EU have always denied the Sahara such a right, have always ignored the international law and the ruling of the court and Spain is one of the main beneficiaries of such an accord, of such an agreement, because that European fleet, it's 120 uh, vessels, 
among that 120 belongs to Spain, so the Spanish fleet. So you can imagine how much money they're making out of it, and you know how much they're exploiting in the waters of Western Sahara. So that's some other thing also that's been compromised and also is something to add into account when trying to calculate the loss and the benefit between Morocco and Spain. So this kind of bilateral relationship between Morocco and Spain is merely controlled by economic and political uh, whims and benefits. Can I just add maybe for our listeners that the problem with that plan relating to autonomy, which, you know, might sound good, but actually the plan is for some kind of autonomy, but under Moroccan sovereignty. So basically it forecloses any kind of uh, measure for Morocco to leave. It uh, normalizes the occupation, right? Exactly. So just to explain to the listeners, when the UN approved and ratified the right of Sahara to self-determination, that meant that the Sahrawis could choose for themselves who they want to be in the future. Whether they want to be independent, because we cannot say separatists. Morocco calls us separatists, but this is not the right term, because we were never part of Morocco. Yeah. You only ask for separation when you are part of something. But we were never part of Morocco in the past, so we don't have to ask for separation. That's why we ask for independence, just like any other colonized country or occupied territory. In Western Sahara, under the laws of the UN, you can check right now the UN charts, and you can check all the United Nations resolution and the Security Council resolution. Western Sahara is considered a non-autonomous, non-self-governing territory. It's still categorized as such. Mm-hmm. Not Morocco, not Spain. Not the U.S., not anybody else can deny that uh, category or can falsify it. So uh, Western Sahara is all about sovereignty. It's not just about the fish or about oil or about abuses or about land grabbing or about violations that take place every day. It's about all this. But what's causing this? That's the question that has to be asked. What's causing all these violations and abuses? What's causing all this? What's happening? It's the uh, fight of who is the sovereign on these lands. That's the main issue. That's the main conflict. It's a political question. It's a political struggle. It's uh, a political solution that has to be provided for this conflict. And so sovereignty is the main issue. And Sahrawis throughout history have been the only sovereigns on this land, not Morocco, not Britannia, not Algeria, not Spain. But because we are a minority and because we are outnumbered, that's why everybody else is trying to cover the truth and everybody else is trying to take advantage of the situation. But we are resilient and we want to decide for ourselves. We don't want the EU to decide for us. We don't want the US to decide for us. We don't want anybody else to decide for us. Only the Saharaus have the right to decide for themselves by going to the ballots, and then they can decide whether they want to choose to be independent or to join Morocco, or maybe to choose autonomy under the Moroccan sovereignty. But that's the case only if they go to the ballots and let them choose freely. Morocco is denying us this right. Why? Because it's afraid of the outcome, of the result. Because they know for sure that Sahrawis will never vote for joining Morocco for autonomy. That's plain, very clear. 
and Morocco knows it, the regime knows it, the whole world knows it, and that's why they're trying to cover it, and that's why they're trying to go around it, and that's why they're trying to use another backdoor to whatever they want to see. Trump, when he was president, he did a bold thing by recognizing Western Sahara as part of the Moroccan kingdom when he made a presidential proclamation, not ruling, not a law, not a executive order, just a proclamation that only concerns him and that only uh, affects him. He said that Western Sahara was part of Morocco, and that was just part of an agreement called as Abraham Accords, whereby Morocco will normalize ties with Israel and also will get a lot of military uh, arm deals and at the same time we'll get some uh, U.S. help and assistance, etc., etc. And so Morocco agreed to that because they only want the U.S. recognition of West Sahara. But during Biden's term, things have been slowed down and there is no mention of such uh, proclamation, even though it was not taken out, but still we're seeing a bit of a kind of a slow implementing those uh, guidelines or those rules in the Abraham's Accord, for example, they were saying that during Trump's era that they would open a U.S. consulate in Dakhla, but when Biden came in, uh, that was stopped and it was never opened. We're also seeing some American officials talking about the right of the people of Western Sahara for a referendum and for a mutual just acceptable solution, so there is no mention of the autonomy plan anymore. So this is also what's going on right now as far as political sphere. And just to ask further, what would you say is the, um, what are the hopes and dreams of the Sahrawi people? What outcomes do you see as acceptable, desirable? Would you like there to be another referendum? Also, the Sahrawi people are quite scattered, right, in the occupied territories and in the autonomous part and refugee camps and also in the diaspora and the... Uh, the issue of the referendum also has a question about who should vote there because there are also a lot of occupiers living in the occupied part, Moroccan occupiers. The hopes of the Sahrawis, 90%, I would not say 100%, but 90% of the Sahrawis, to be fair, they want independence and they want to see a referendum organized in Western Sahara. That's for sure. Nobody can deny that. They just have to give them that right. That's all we ask for. We're not asking for another uh, World War III. We're not asking for uh, uh, anything else impossible. We're just asking for a simple right to be implemented, which is the right to self-determination through a fair referendum organized under the auspices of the United Nations in Western Sahara, whereby the people of Western Sahara, when I say the people of Western Sahara, here I would like to emphasize that there is a difference between the people of Western Sahara and the population in Western Sahara, because when you talk about the population, that means you talk about the Moroccan settlers, you talk about the foreigners who live there, whoever resides in Western Sahara. But we always talk about the people of Western Sahara, which are the indigenous people of Western Sahara, who are real Sahrawis. In 1974, Spain made a census in Western Sahara and counted 74,000 Sahrawis. Those are in the official census uh, made by Spain in 1974. Those are the people who have the right to vote. And that was agreed by the two parties in 1991. And the UN did account of what was called the identification process. And I was a part of it. I still have the paper from the UN showing that I was a Sahrawi and I have my Spanish census number and everything. But we Sahrawis, in that census, we were never given the chance or the opportunity to vote, to go to the ballots 
in a fair referendum because Morocco stopped everything and sabotaged the whole process. Sahrawis in the uh, liberated zone, in the camps, in the diaspora, in the occupied territory, they all want to live with dignity, with freedom, and with pride in their own country and to benefit from their own natural resources. Imagine a vast land the size of Texas and with a lot of natural resources, fisheries, phosphate, copper, diamond, gold, etc., etc., etc. And we only like half a million or so. So imagine these people, how much richness they will have and joy and also how much stability they will bring to the North African uh, region and also how much economic prosperity will be there uh, once they try to build their own country. And this is going to be also an addition to the countries of Africa because we are the last colony. And once this uh, conflict ended, then there will be more room for cooperation, for coordination, and also even for the fight against terrorism, etc. And Morocco doesn't want that to happen because some people and some countries, they live off small wars and they live off small quarrels and clashes and they cannot just live in peace. That's what it is. Can I ask you also about the Polisario Front? Yes. Do you see the Polisario Front as the legitimate representative body of the Sahrawi people? Should we support the Polisario Front or should we listen to individual voices or are there other uh, actors that are also important to listen to? The Polisario Front is the main and the unique representative of the Sahrawi people, the people of Western Sahara, since 1973. The Polisario Front is no stranger to Western Sahara. There are no foreigners who are members of the Polisario Front. Without the Polisario Front, the issue of Western Sahara would have never reached the UN. We'd have never reached all countries in the world. We would have never had more than 84 recognitions around the world for the Sahrawi Republic. So without the Polisario, there is no existence for the people of Western Sahara. Without the Polisario, there would have been no liberation army and there would have been no leverage against Morocco, and there would have nothing given to Sahrawis uh, as a recognition for their right. So the Polisario is a guarantor of the rights of the people of Western Sahara. And under the umbrella of the Polisario, Sahrawis have been fighting for the rights, and they will continue to fight. Yes, we listen to other voices, but if they go in the same mainstream of the Polisario, which is the referendum, uh, which is the right of the Sahrawi to live in freedom, and also which is uh, in coordination with the mainstream of the Sahrawi cause, because we don't want many fractions to be among our population, like in other places of the world. So we just want one mainstream, one voice, one struggle, one future, one present, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's a great way to summarize it. Is there some other uh, topics that you think would need to be talked about? I think one aspect that should be said, because it's kind of um, a major part of at least how people see it, that actually Morocco has built uh, the second largest wall after the Wall of China, I think, right? Yes. Which is separating now the liberated zone. Yeah, it's the second uh, after China's wall, and it runs for uh, 1,700 kilometers long from the borders of Morocco all the way to the borders of Mauritania along the Western Sahara Territory, 
and it's guarded by uh, more than 100,000 so Moroccan soldiers, and they spend like millions of dollars to maintain it on a regular basis daily. And also, there are, they planted uh, more than 9 or 10 million uh, landmines around that wall. So imagine how much money they spend daily on that, and imagine how much pollution because of the landline in it. And many people suffered because of that. Uh, the Sahrawi, especially the Sahrawi civilians, died because of the landmines, and also even the animals like camels and goats, etc. So it's making the territory of Western Sahara one of the most polluted territories in the world as far as landmines. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Every time there's war, it's not only people who suffer, but also yeah, non-human animals and destroyed yeah yeah exactly. because it's important to say because those might be losses that uh, you cannot recover like species go extinct exactly and because of the presence of the military also in the territory for more than 45 years now many species now are distinct especially the gazelles the antelopes Many animals just disappeared from Western Sahara. We don't see them anymore. We don't have them because the military have been hunting them down all because of the landmines. As that's also a pity to see them disappear. Yeah. And also because of the exploitation of the other natural resources, a lot of uh, fish species have disappeared from the wars of Western Sahara because of the illegal fishing and also because of the malpractices there, cyber some vessels. And at the same time, also when they export the phosphate, uh, through the port of Layoun, some of the phosphate is spread on the ocean and it also kills some of the animals, the species in the ocean. So it's another major problem. Because also Spain, before leaving, they built uh, in the 70s, early 70s, Spain built a beltway that runs for 100 kilometers from the mines of Bukra, the phosphate mines, all the way to the port. So they're transporting a conveyor belt for easy plunder. Can I also say something about phosphorus? Yes. Uh, just a small insert here, just so that listeners understand what phosphorus is good for and how it's placed in this whole picture. Mm-hmm. So phosphate rock, which Morocco and Western Sahara is rich in, so it contains phosphorus. That is the element that is useful, that's important. And uh, phosphorus along with nitrogen is uh, the main things that uh, plants absorb from the ground in order to grow. It helps their build their bodies. Yes. And so when you do extensive agriculture, then nitrogen, but also phosphorus is depleted from the soil. And that's why you need to come with fertilizers and also artificial fertilizers. And phosphorus is used especially for artificial fertilizers. And so a country like Morocco, which has such a big uh, part of the phosphorus market, you know, it has some leverage because if you influence the price of phosphorus and of artificial fertilizers, unfortunately, you also affect the price of food and the fact that people have a harder access to food. So I think it's important to see how they're all connected and how uh, maybe Morocco has also this resource aspect, not just for them to plunder economically, but also it maybe can use it as a leverage. Exactly. Exactly. You got the whole point. It's it's also being used as a leverage and also to bribe other countries, like they did with many African countries and some Latin American countries, where they bribe them with phosphorus and with fertilizers exploited uh, in Western Sahara. So they're using our own money, just like they did with Europe, with the fish, now they're doing other countries when it comes to phosphorus. So it's like a double-sided weapon that's used against us. It's our own money used against us. They also bribed uh, many officials in the European Parliament, as you know, the scandals of the uh, European uh, deputies who were uh, uh, lobbyists from Morocco working undercover, and they were bribed by the Moroccan regime. You can also see that Morocco 
also bribed many other officials around the world just to get the recognition of its uh, control over Western Sahara. And at the same time, the economic resources or the natural resources in Western Sahara are also being uh, used as a bait to bring in more settlers in Western Sahara by giving more subsidies in the regular main uh, daily food, for example, like flour, oil, etc., gas, etc. It's sold cheap so that settlers can come from Morocco to Western Sahara and also they are offered many jobs and are given uh, many permits to fish and permits to transportation and other places in Western Sahara where they can get richer and just, you know, try also to control the Western Sahara while the people of Western Sahara, especially the young people who's got degrees, who's got diplomas, are still unemployed and jobless. The rate of unemployment in Western Sahara is like 18 or 19 percent, while in Morocco it's only 6 or 7 percent. So you can see the difference as well. They talk about development in Western Sahara where all the money goes to the rotten uh, elite uh, that was uh, formed by the Moroccan regime in Western Sahara, and they claim to be represented as the Western Sahara people, but it's not true. They only represent themselves, even if some of them are Sahrawis, but they only represent themselves because they went for their own interests and they put their hands hand in hand with the Moroccan regime to silence all the rising voices demanding for equality, for freedom, and for liberty. So it's a lot of things going on, especially when it comes to how much money is Morocco is making. So let's just do the math. So there are fisheries, and the European Union gives Morocco around, I would say, nearly 55 or 56 million euros every year as a compensation for fishing, plus whatever jobs and whatever comes from that kind of exploitation of fisheries. So I would say the estimate will be more than 120 million euros on an annual basis. That's uh, as a revenue from that. Then we can talk about the phosphate. Morocco is accelerating its exploitation of phosphate in Western Sahara. So I would say approximately it's 3 uh, million tons of phosphate exported from Western Sahara. So 3 million, so one ton in the market is at least, I would say at least it's $300 per ton. So imagine 3 million worth of $300 per ton. So that's a lot of money, a lot of dollars. And then the fertilizers, the phosphorus, and then the other uh, minerals, even the salt, they're exporting the salt to Canada, to the U.S. and other places, while the phosphate is being exported to India, to Brazil, to Canada, to the U.S. and other places. And then now they're trying to talk about the green energy and about sustainable energy, and they're building wind farms in Western Sahara. They have like almost four plants in Western Sahara. They're building more, one in Afaya, Second one in Lyon, third one in Chira, fourth one in Bujdut, fifth one in uh, at the port. So I know of at least five or six right now, and they're building more wind plants where they can produce electricity and then export it to Europe and sell it to Europe. That's also even exploiting the wind in Western Sahara. And they're also talking about exploiting the sun to produce the electricity again. And they're talking about this kind of... Uh, project, reviving the old project that was discussed with uh, Germany a long time ago with Siemens. It's called the Desert Tech. Yeah, 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 yeah. Solar energy. So they're trying to revive that too. And it's like they're exploiting everything, even the sand, the dunes that we have, uh, the Sahrawi sand. It's been exploited to Spain, where it's used uh, to embellish all the beaches and also using construction works. So everything's been exploited by the Sahrawi people 
are just there marginalized, impoverished, and brutalized on a daily basis. Where do we stand? The UN, the whole world is watching, nothing is done. The whole world knows about our plight, the whole world knows that the international legality is on our side, but then they talk about quitter quo, and they talk about pragmatics, they talk about interest, they talk about balance at the expense of the Sahrawis' right. That's not fair. That shouldn't be done. That's not fair. Yeah, thank you. That's a great point to wrap up on. Yes. Before we end, uh, would you like to, if you know some resources from where people can learn more about the struggle of the Sahrawi people, NGOs and other actors that we should follow? And if someone wants to support uh, the struggle directly, are there any pathways for that? Yeah, what do you see as the most important actions that we can take? There are many resources uh, published in the web, so you can go to www.arso.org uh, where you can have many links over there, many resources that you can read or you can download or you can print out. Also, we have a website of the Sahrawi Association in the U.S. called salsa.org and we also have, there are many, so many websites when you go to go, just type Western Sahara and you will be fascinated by how many research papers have been done uh, by many researchers and universities and uh, strategic thinking uh, firms. As for what can be done, I think the civil society can do a lot around the world because we have seen so many examples of civil action around the world that can take down governments, can impose uh, certain policies, can call for some change. So we're trying to seek some kind of uh, solidarity movement rising in many other countries, especially in Eastern Europe, like in Romania, Albania, Poland, and other places, because there we have no voice. We'd like to see some voice there. We'd like to see some people organizing some kind of solidarity action with us. At the same time, also, we want the people to talk about Western Sahara in hashtags, in, you know, Twitter, etc., many other places under different forms, using all the social media, podcasts, etc., because uh, the more people talk about something, the more interest we will get, and also the more leverage we will have in the future. I know a lot of people don't have the time to do so, but sometimes, you know, it doesn't cost only like a few minutes and it doesn't cost that much effort to do so. You can raise your voice, you can write a line, you can talk on a podcast about it, you can tell your friends, you can write an article, you can organize a movement, you can even form your own foundation or association as a solidarity movement. So there's so much can be done. It just like requires a will and determination. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Again, thank you so much uh, for offering us your time and energy and knowledge. Even if it's a topic that you care about, still, you know, you are taking time from your family and from... No problem. Thank you. Yeah. It was my pleasure to be here with you and to talk about the Western Sahara. And I hope some of the readers will have questions for the next future episodes and that I will be ready to communicate with anybody who is uh, interested in getting involved or... Uh, helping the Sahrawis or uh, organizing anything about Western Sahara in the future. Children of the night, what music they make. That's all for today. 
As we said, it's a two-part episode. It's not sure yet when the other part will come out yet, but that will be more about the human rights situation, what rights the Sahrawi have in the occupied territories, in the liberated zone, refugee camps, etc. As Jamal said, you can stand in solidarity with the Sahrawi people by uh, educating yourselves in the first uh, instance, then sharing materials and uh, perhaps getting involved some way. All the uh, relevant uh, information is linked in the description of the episode, so we invite you to go check it out. Before we close off, just a quick shout to everyone whose work has contributed to the episode in some way or the other. The music that you hear is the song Sahara a Pesar de las Heridas by Adele Larbi and P. Salvar. While the artwork is based on street art by uh, artist Manolo Mesa. Uh, we thank both Sahrawi artists for letting us uh, showcase their work. If you want to support us in doing this podcast, you can share the episode or like or interact in whichever other way you want uh, and feel comfortable to on whichever platform you are listening to it on. It does help a lot if you interact with it uh, to increase our reach. I think we might have been shadow banned, at least on Facebook. Until next time, take care. Bye. Camino por la senda del desierto, la estrella sola revolución en este cielo abierto. Cierra si es preciso, pero pienso buscar mi libertad para que al menos sea para mis hijos. Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre. La voz de la justicia pide Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre. Los niños llorando están pidiendo. Yo vengo a hablarte de mi país ya desterrado Donde niños crecen en campos de refugiados Olvidados, Sahara desamparado Seguimos exiliados, nuestras tierras negociaron España Esta se lava las manos, sacó a sus soldados El contrato estaba firmado Arias Navarro nos vendió como una mierda Mi gente en la marcha verde se armó con piedras Queremos nuestra tierra, queremos libertad No queremos guerra, queremos independencia Con paciencia para Pasaron 35 años, pero nadie hace el balance de los daños. Es un engaño o una utopía. Encima el PSOE prometía porquería. Pasaron días, también pasaron años. Mi gente emigró a un país extraño. Y cual rebaño entraron los soldados. Ejércitos armados a civiles ocuparon, violaron, robaron y quitaron vidas. Dejando el exilio como única salida. Toda mi vida esperando el tratado Viendo sueños irse como agua por el lavabo Sueño con mi tierra, con recuperarla Sueño que mi padre deja de añorarla Haciendo mi camino por la senda del desierto La estrella sola revolución en este cielo abierto Cierra si es preciso, pero pienso buscar mi libertad Para que al menos sea para mis hijos Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre La voz de la justicia pide Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre Los niños llorando están pidiendo Campos de refugiados fueron poblados Algunos se quedaron y fueron extorsionados Políticos cambiaron, las leyes adaptaron Libertad de expresión, del mapa la borraron Aceptaron pactar la autodeterminación 
nación en mi corazón Ves promesas de la ONU rotas por Marruecos Utilizando a James Baker como si fuera un muñeco Planes de arreglo o el acuerdo marco Nunca se firmaron dejando hundirse el barco Y yo remarco la historia de mi pueblo España puede hacerlo y no le pone arreglo Yo quiero verlo, es la tierra de mi padre A mis abuelos ni los conocí demasiado tarde Esto me arde y me quema por dentro Marruecos y Mauritania dividieron el porciento Dejando a cientos de miles sin alternativa En la misiva de mi pueblo es su vida Muchas familias acabaron en la ruina y las que no emigraron a tierra vecina Yo miro arriba y recuerdo a mi madre Tantos viajes para ayudar no fueron en balde Y a pesar de las heridas seguiremos luchando toda nuestra vida Haciendo mi camino por la senda del desierto Las estrellas son la revolución en este cielo abierto Cierra si es preciso pero pienso buscar mi libertad Para que al menos sea para mis hijos Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre La voz de la justicia pide Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre, oh, Sahara libre Los niños llorando están pidiendo Sahara libre, Sahara libre Porque son 35 años, 35 años esperando Por la independencia Porque a pesar de las caras Sahara Lee, 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 Sahara Lee,